We're going to spend some time studying the Bible now. We do this every week. Uh, This is a really central part of our life together because we believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. So we want to be listeners and learners that pay attention to what he has to say to us. We're in the middle of a three-week series where we are reviewing our mission statement as a church, so kind of our purpose. Um, Jesus' final orders that he gave to the church are found at the end of the book of Matthew. It's often called the Great Commission, where he tells his church to go and to make disciples of all the tribes of the world. And in our constitution, our church's founding documents, we divide that up into three steps. We say that making disciples looks like introducing people to the person of Jesus, establishing them in a walk with Jesus, and then equipping them to do the work of ministry. Uh, So Philip Holmes started us off last week with introducing people to Jesus. He did a great job. He also apologized, by the way, that he went so long. So he he texted me later. He's like, oh, I can't believe I went that long. I'm so sorry. Anyway, appreciated learning from him, but I just wanted to pass that on. He texted me an apology to all of you that he went so long. Um, But had some good stuff to say about how Jesus was sending the church out into the world, saying, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So we're sent out to introduce people to Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about establishing people in a walk with Christ. Establishing. What does that look like to be established? The word is used uh, just a few times in the English Standard Version, the translation that we use here uh, regularly, um, and other translations like the New American Standard and NIV. It's a lot more common, and it sometimes has the idea of being like rooted and grounded in a foundation. Sometimes it has the general connotation of just strengthening. Uh, But today we're going to look at what it means from Colossians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, open them up to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Colossians 2, 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, we've put some black Bibles under the chairs. You can grab one of those, and we'll be on page 983 in those black Bibles. So page 983 in the black Bibles, or if you have your own Bible, Colossians chapter 2. It's going to talk about establishing us, the the foundation of Jesus himself, him being our our roots, him, uh, he being our foundation. Um, Back in 2008, there was a big hurricane that hit the Gulf Coast, Hurricane Ike. Anybody remember Hurricane Ike? Um, It was a serious hurricane. It caused a lot of damage down there in Galveston and surrounding cities. Um, We actually sent a team from the church to go and help people to rebuild afterwards. And there's this one particular town, kind of like a suburb of Galveston, called Gilchrist. And in Gilchrist, there are a lot of really stark pictures. You could Google this and see this online, where just there was this entire beach of what looked like just toothpicks. I mean, it's just sticks because all the houses were obliterated. I mean, just totally gone. And then there was one house left standing. It was amazing. I mean, literally only one house left in Gilchrist, Texas. And of course, obviously, that house had deeper foundations than the other houses. Um, probably got hit less by the wind as well, maybe, but, <laughs> but it had a deep foundation and just a sea of just sticks and sand, one house was left standing. And in our text today, we're going to see that we can be grounded in a firm foundation in Jesus as well. And that's part of our mission as a church is to help each other get there. How do we help each other to be established on the firm foundation of Jesus? So Colossians 2, we'll talk about it. We'll start in verse 1. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to teach, uh, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order 
in the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would teach us, that your spirit would open our eyes, and we pray that you would establish us in the firm foundation, the rock of truth that you yourself are. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at the text and we think about establishing, uh, I think the text is going to show us that there are kind of three aspects of this foundation. We want to get established in spiritual family. We want to get established in clear thinking about who Jesus is. And then we, we want to get established in abounding, being overflowing, abounding, generous people. So first, let's look at this idea of being established in spiritual family. We see it in the first couple of verses. And it's kind of a counterintuitive note that Paul starts with here. He says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for all of you who have not seen me face to face. And so this is interesting. I'm going to just kind of give away here. I'm calling you in this section to connect with people more deeply. That's an important part of being bonded with each other in spiritual family, being established in your faith. Paul here is saying he's not connected with them deeply, right? He, he can't see them face to face. There's a distance, so what can we learn when Paul is separated from them by this great distance? We see that he's still acting as spiritual family. Even though he wishes he was with them face to face, what is he doing? Well, he says he's struggling with them. We see earlier in Colossians, this struggle is a struggle in prayer and a struggle on Paul's part to write to them to encourage them in the faith. Do you have any friends that from a distance, even though you don't see them every day, pray for you or write letters of encouragement to you? Anybody have any friends like that? Some of you? Yeah, Paul is acting as spiritual family for these people, even though he's not in close proximity. Now, I would say we need, we need also spiritual family that's in close proximity. But we see some of the aspects of a spiritual family here, right? He's, he's struggling in prayer, and he's struggling for them by writing them and encouraging them in Jesus. We can be that for each other. You might have old Christian friends that you need to look up. And you say, how, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Maybe you have friends that are like that for you, and you need to just thank them. Thank God for them. Thank them for, for being spiritual encouragers, for being spiritual family for you. Paul goes on, and he gives kind of further detail of what spiritual family looks like. He says in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he's saying he wants to see them knit together in love. What does that mean to be knit together? Uh, knit could be like sewn together, right? Like bonded together. He wants us who are individuals, right? Modern American people, we're very individualistic. We kind of care about our own concerns, do our own thing, live our own life, listen to our own music. He says, I want to see you supernaturally through the gospel, knit together. He wants to see us bonded to one another, see our hearts connected to one another. So in the same way that Paul, even from a distance, even though he can't see us face to face, Paul's writing to these Christians saying, but I love you and I'm struggling for you and I'm praying for you and I'm encouraging you. He wants to see those of us that are close together to live that way with each other. Do you have close spiritual friendships? Do you have people in your life where you are embodying spiritual family, where you're encouraging one another, where you're walking beside one another? One of the dangers of the way that we do church in kind of this context is a lot of it centers around this Sunday morning worship service, right? And you can start to think that that is what church is. 
and that the pastor or deacons or Sunday school teacher's job is to be your spiritual family. But really, there's a much more comprehensive picture in the New Testament that we are all spiritual family with, with each other, right? That we have multiple friendships. It's not just like one leader's job to be your spiritual family. I mean, I like you and everything, but I can't be all of your family, right? Like, I can't be close to all of you in the same way. We, we need other friends in our Christian life. I have to have friends that I can call up and say, will you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. Can you encourage me? And that, that I can encourage. The question is, do you, do you have friendships like that? Do you have spiritual friendships? Do you have spiritual family? People that you can encourage and those that encourage you. This phrase, being knit together, is an interesting phrase because it's used in a couple of other places in the New Testament. So that'll give us a fuller picture of how Paul likes to use this phrase. Just later in Colossians, in Colossians 2.19, Paul is talking about those that are drifting from spiritual family and drifting from Jesus. And he says they're not holding fast to the head. Uh, So Jesus is pictured in the New Testament as the head of his body, and we are his body. So this image appears again and again. We are like the hands and feet of Jesus, his presence in this world, to to do Jesus-y things in the world, right? To show love and justice to the world. We are his presence. He's the head. He's in control. He's in charge. And we are to respond to him in obedience, right? Like when your head works right, your hands and your feet do what your head tells it to do. And when that is broken down, you would say there's some kind of disease, right? You might have a nervous disorder. You might have some kind of sickness in your body where your brain is not controlling your body well anymore. Same thing with the church. When we're doing what Jesus leads us to do as the head of the body, then we're functioning properly. So Paul is describing this later in Colossians. He says, these people that are drifting from Jesus, they're not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So the body grows properly, is nourished properly, functions properly when it's connected to the head. And he's using the same phrase, knit together. So he's saying, we're the body and we should be knit together. We should have like a unity and a diversity. A great illustration of this um, is I have like a little diagram of the hand here with some of the ligaments in the hand. The hand has all these different component parts, but if your hand functions properly, right? And I'm getting old enough now where some days I work hard, and then my hand doesn't work for like a day, right? Like, so sometimes disease sets in, or you might have arthritis, or you might have an issue where the hand doesn't function properly, but when everything's working the way that it's designed to work, there's unity and diversity, and it's all connected. That's the picture he's giving here of things being knit together, the joints and the ligaments, holding everything together in unity. We're all different, but we are supposed to be functioning as one body doing Jesus's work in the world. Another cross-reference that Paul uses the same phrase is in Ephesians 4.16. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. That phrase held together is the same word knit together uh, in the Greek. So held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So another picture you get of these two things is that we actually grow right when we're connected to each other. You see that? He's talking about the proper growth and the proper functioning of the body. So when we're doing what Jesus says and we're connected to one another in unity, then we grow properly. Then everything is functioning. Another really interesting concept I want you to think about, because this is a problem I think we struggle with as modern people, is we often separate knowledge from practice, right? Uh, Just the way that we do education in our world is we talk a lot about information being something that you need to put into your head, right? even though you've never really done that information, but you know the information. So it's like beautiful thing that humans can do. We can separate 
knowledge from practice. That's great. That helps us to kind of abstractly solve problems. That's a great gift that we have that I don't think other animals can do. But it's a problem because the scripture says if you know facts about God, but you don't do what you know about God, there's, there's a problem. You're not, you're not functioning properly. You don't even really know God. If you say, I know the right answers for the Sunday school class, but you're not living out what you know, the Bible says you don't really know God. There's a breakdown, right? Again, to use the illustration of the body, if the body is functioning and the body knows what it's supposed to do, but it's not doing it, you would say it's not connected properly to the head, right? There's some kind of disease. There's some kind of dysfunction there. So Paul says part of what this looks like for us to be established in our faith is to be connected, knit together in love. We would actually love one another, be connected to one another because of who Jesus is and what he's doing for us. And that'll, that'll look like us functioning in the world, showing the love, the grace, the justice of Jesus in our communities. That's, that's what this will look like. And I want to say, man, it's, it's an honor to be connected with a church where so many of you are, are doing this, right? I see you serving your neighbors are serving, your soldiers are serving at the school that you work with, and I, I see you functioning like this. I see you being the hands and feet of Jesus, showing his grace and his love to the world. I just want to thank you for that. So many of you, I get to hear these stories, and it's an honor to be associated, right? Because we hear so many bad stories of how churches aren't doing what we should, should be doing, right? So many stories of people that claim the name of Christ, but then they, they're just treating people in terrible ways. So I want to thank you for that. Those of you that that applies to, thank you. Those of you that aren't doing anything, pay attention to what Paul's saying here. He's, he's saying you should function properly as the hands and feet of Jesus. You should be knit together with other believers in spiritual family. You should belong to one another. One of the common phrases of this is membership. Another way that this is described is partnership. You're, you're working together. What does it look like to join the spiritual family? Number one, you need to join the spiritual family by being born into spiritual family, right? John talks about this with Nicodemus. He was a religious leader in John chapter 3. Uh, Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3. And there he's telling Nicodemus, this great religious teacher who knows a lot of facts about Jesus or knows a lot of facts about God in the Old Testament. Jesus says, it's not enough to know all these facts. You have to be born again. You have to be reborn spiritually. Being born again means entrusting yourself to Jesus revoking your physical birth and saying, my physical birth, the tribe I grew up in, the city I grew up in, the job I have, the network of relationships I have are not enough to save me. I need God to utterly transform me. I need new life. That's what it means when Christians talk about being born again. We're saying, I can't do it. I need God to give me new life. Have you taken that first step? Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus? You've said, man, when I do things on my own, I just cause problems. I need to turn and receive Jesus and turn from trying to live life on my own and just give up and surrender to him. That's where it starts. That's how you get born into spiritual family. And then here we're talking about being established and kind of knit together and growing as spiritual family. We need to start functioning uh, well with each other. I think a a helpful way to think about applying this is uh, you need someone that you can learn from. You need a relationship like that, spiritual family. You need someone you can lock arms with. And you need someone else that you can lead, okay? Three sets of relationships. I think often Christians just focus on one or two of those. We don't focus on all of them. But I think to have a balanced, healthy life as spiritual family, it's good to have those three kinds of relationships. Do you have someone in your life that you can learn from, that you can look up to? You can say, this person is like one step ahead of me 
following Jesus. They don't have to be a genius or brilliant, right? Just someone that's one step down the, down the road. They've been following Jesus maybe a little longer than you. Maybe they know the Bible a little more than you. Maybe they're a little more obedient to Jesus than you are. And you can look to them and learn from them. Do you have someone like that in your life? And then secondly, someone you can lock arms with. Do you have someone that can be like a partner when you try to do ministry, when you're trying to serve at the workplace? you have a Christian friend that y'all can pray together? Or when you're trying to serve in your community or in your neighborhood or here at the church, do you have a friend that you can serve side by side with, that you can grow in your faith with, where you can encourage each other, where you can um, be spiritual family, be brother and sister in Christ? And then finally, someone you can lead. A lot of people think you're not qualified to lead until you've like achieved some certain, you know, spiritual level or graduation or whatever. All Christians can lead other people, right? You just have to be like one step ahead of someone else. There's always someone looking up to you. So are you taking that seriously and are you leading those people well? Are you investing in those relationships? Because those relationships are there. You're either just kind of ignoring them or not taking advantage of them. How can we take advantage of those and, and lead people well? So three different kinds of relationships um, two real practical things today. We have a sign up for small groups. You can get in a small group. Um, we set those up for you to help you get in these friendships where you can grow spiritually with others and be in spiritual family. These groups come together and they study the Bible and they pray for each other and just kind of try to encourage each other to do ministry wherever God has called you. Um, so those are a helpful way to do that. Now you can create groups like that, right? Like you could just get with a buddy. You don't have to join one of the small groups we've set up. We've set that up because as leaders of the church, we want to equip you and help you get established in your faith, right? So we're kind of setting up some of these networks of volunteers and people getting together. We're just kind of trying to orchestrate that to help you take these next steps. But like you could go find a buddy and y'all could pray together and read the Bible together. You don't need us to tell you what night to do that on, right? Um, so if, if you don't have the time to do that or you don't know anybody, go sign up for one of the small groups. And then another step like that is a little more of a formal step, and that's actually becoming a formal partner of our church, traditionally sometimes called membership. That means you're, you're outing yourself as someone that wants to do ministry and life with Grace Bible Church. You're saying, hey, I, I love Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus in spiritual family with Grace Bible Church. I want the leaders to know who I am, to pray for me and encourage me, and help me to walk with Jesus. So partnership, you can, we've got little forms in the hallway, or you can go look online about that. That's just basically officially saying, yeah, I'm here. I want to walk with Jesus at this church with you people, right? Find a next step that you can take to grow in your faith. As you think about what does this look like to have these spiritual friendships or spiritual family, two verses I think are helpful. One is James 5, uh, 16. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So that's just being transparent, right? I need help following Jesus. You confess that to a friend. You pray together, help each other to obey and follow Jesus. Confess your sins to one another, pray for each other, you may be healed. And then Proverbs 27, 17 uh, says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, right? It's the idea that we kind of have uh, healthy conflict, encouragement, you know, like uh, sharpening a knife or iron sharpening iron. It's this idea of you come together, there's maybe some friction there, but you're encouraging one another, challenging each other to, to step forward in faith. So spiritual family. The next thing that we want to see here is that we need to be established in clear thinking, established in clear thinking. Paul uses a couple different phrases to talk about this. He talks about orderly uh, obedience, and then he talks about seeing all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge in Jesus. So let me read verses 3 through 5 here. It says, In him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, right? So 
set up kind of a contrast here. As we see that all treasures and wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus, that helps us not to fall for being deluded by plausible arguments, right? So being dissuaded from following Jesus by arguments, cults, philosophies, we focus on Jesus being the real source of treasure and knowledge. Do you see that contrast there in 3 and 4? And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So he's saying this, this word order is like a tactic military term. He, he wants to see them orderly in their obedience of Jesus, right? Kind of going back to the body imagery. He wants to see the body functioning, right? Like are you all in alignment with Jesus and with each other? And that comes back to this, this thing he talks about at the end of verse 3, that we see Jesus as the source, the treasure, where all wisdom and knowledge is found. W- what do you treasure? What do you see as most valuable, right? That will affect your thinking. The way this is described in Proverbs is Proverbs says that wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Now, we hear that and we think, does that mean God's just like, scary and we're going to be afraid of him. I don't think it means it in quite that sense. Fear of the Lord is more like seeing God as the most impressive, most weighty, most awe-inspiring of all beings, right? Seeing him as above others. Do you, do you have awe for God, the fear of the Lord? And that's translated in the New Testament as Jesus talks about seeing, seeing him as treasure. Jesus talked about this in a parable, the treasure in the field parable. I don't know if you know this parable in the book of Matthew, but he says that there's this guy that found a treasure in a field, and he was like such a valuable treasure that he went and he sold everything he had so he could buy this property, right? Think about it in Texas terms. You know there's oil on this land. You're going to sell everything you have to buy this land because you've got some oil there, right? There's some treasure there. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. A relationship with Jesus is saying, This is worth more than everything else. Do you see that? Do you have your thinking ordered in that way? Here's a pic of some treasure, some actual gold coins that were found by treasure hunters in the coast off of Florida, right? Sunken pirate ships, they found real treasure. When I was a kid, I was always looking for treasure. I used to like dig holes in the backyard. Um, Thankfully, I, I would get tired of it pretty soon, so I didn't like destroy the entire backyard. I don't think my mom really liked it when I would dig holes in the backyard. Um, but I don't know if you've ever been on a treasure hunt. You've gone looking for treasure. We're told here in the New Testament. He's like, of course, yeah. Uh, we're told here in the New Testament that it's found in Jesus. He's more valuable than anything else. Here's the treasure hunt. I, you know, I joke about digging in the backyard. Here's the treasure hunt a lot of us are on. Uh, it's a new diet, right? We're on the treasure hunt of thinking.